Merry Christmas-ish week. I can't help but notice you're wearing a baseball cap, which we don't see very often. I mean, I wear a lot of baseball caps out and about, but yeah, not, I mean, you see me at work is what it is. And at, on on work calls, I typically do not. You're right. You look like every celebrity in New York City trying to avoid the paparazzi. Didn't you know I'm actually a little bit famous and this is my shtick? Oh, local yeah. celebrity. Yeah, okay. local celeb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people walk around and they're like, hey, isn't that that podcaster lady? Okay, I'm going to rattle off a couple more of these just because it tickled me so much to see the ever so fanciful Mackenzie in a baseball cap. So uh, is it okay if I hit you with a few more? Yeah, hit me. Okay, you look like Kendall Roy without the $1,200 suit in succession. <laughs> So what you're saying is that I'm just normally so fancy that you're... You you're, give that energy, I think is what it is. Wow. You, you look like a winter soldier when he's hiding from the government in Civil War. <laughs> and last one, best one. Okay. You look like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio going to a baseball game with a girl half his age. Oh, boom. That's the best one. That's the best one by far. I'm simultaneously complimented and insulted? I don't know. That was the intended, I think, cool, effect. Cool, cool, so cool. Exactly. We're doing great. We're doing great. Welcome back to We Drink and We Watch Things. I'm Mackenzie. My name's Lamar. And we have been at this for a while, though you may not know it because technical yeah. difficulties. The good news is we're back together. We're back I in the same say, room. That is the nice part, but it came with its own set of complications. Yeah. Turns out, <laughs> you know, with all this new tech that we've got around and the video setup and the, the microphones and everything, there's just a little bit of an echo and we wanted to do better than last week when I fucked it all up. So it took us a little Which while. Which really, again, like you really fell on your sword for that one. And it wasn't that bad. I mean, it was, it could have been better, but it wasn't that bad. I'm a perfectionist, I guess. Same, I just, same. You know. Which is why we've been tackling this audio <laughs> situation for quite a while. So we hope you don't hate it. A lot of effort went into it. But that being said, we're probably almost done with our drinks. But Mm -hmm. uh, what are they? What are we drinking this week, Omar? Well, I will say it's a good thing that we mellowed out a little bit. We had a shot of whiskey to start, got a little bit of the Christmas spirits, if you will, inside of us, warmed our souls. And now we've moved on to this uh, Skylar special eggnog, I believe it is. Yeah, see, I had an eggnog recipe, but then he made us this the other night and I was like, damn it, it's better. I mean, he is a bartender by trade, so fucking fine. But. Uh, I saltily asked for the recipe, did in fact get it. It is delish. So I made that for you for this fine day. But we also, of course, because I'm me, have holiday themed mugs. Of course. So what's your mug? Mine says hot cocoa and chill. And I was a little hesitant to pick this one (laughs) because I know that that is a a trigger phrase for some folks at this point. (laughs) But I liked the the paradoxical nature of this because how could you have hot cocoa but also be chill? Chill. chill. Yeah. I think when you put booze in it, all of a sudden it gets a lot more chill. Then, okay, that could be it. I'm thinking more like temperature wise. No, I though. agree. I agree. But, okay, you know, okay. I'm just, I'm just trying to explain the mug. I don't, I don't know. I've got nothing else. But don't I, defend it. He picked it, though, I will say. I gave you choices, multiple choices. I did pick mine and like not make it a choice of yours. Mine mm-hmm. is Naughty List Survivor. So, so I didn't even get a chance you to. You didn't get this one. You're right. I picked it before. Yeah. I was like, here are your options in this pile and the secret option is over here. Now, can you give the because I, you know, people for even if they're seeing this on camera, probably won't see the mug design. Like, what does that mean to you? Uh, listen, I was always in trouble as a child, like mm. always. And I was often on 
the naughty list. There were years that like I got purposely crappy presents from my parentals <laughs> because I was such a bad kid that year. So, yeah, I think I've made my way out on the other side. I'm like a good okay. person now, I hope. Knock on wood on all the things. So, like, yeah, I don't think I don't think I'm on the naughty list this year. I think I made it out. I guess we'll find out on December 25th. Yeah, I will. I Yeah, Skylar, I mean Santa, bring me something good. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we got a very special episode for you we guys this do. week. What are, what are we covering? So we are doing our Christmas-ish ep this year. And uh, this is because all kinds of things. One, you know, we would say holiday ep, but really these these movies that we chose, are they're all Christmas movies. This yeah. is what we grew up with. So... Mm-hmm. This is our vibe. We're going to do some Christmas movies, but we heard you loud and clear and Mm -hmm. also felt the same way about our Halloween top 10 Mm -hmm. that kind of went off the rails. I felt when we were recording it, I don't know about you, (laughs) that it was going off the rails. Yeah, we went in with every intention of talking about (laughs) 10 films and then replacing them with 10 other films. But when we both went into it, it became 30 films. And then we were mentioning so that we were all over the place. I don't even know what the final count was, but it was a (laughs) fucking lot. I also just remembered we recorded it as a double episode. So we got drunker as the episode went on. And that did not help things. We were more of a mess. And I think we did actually pause at one point and refill the drinks. Yes, that did happen. So, yeah. So we just want to retroactively apologize for that situation. We are not at all offended by the feedback that you shared. And and so as a result today, we have trimmed the fat quite a bit, mm-hmm. but we have also created an order of operations. Yep. We have narrowed the focus. So as we mentioned on our the end of our last episode, we're doing three categories, very straightforward categories today. This will be our classics. We each picked one classic mm-hmm. that we would pick above all others. And then we have a modern Christmas film, Mm -hmm. which same thing, one each that we would pick above all others. And then a little bit of a dark horse film. And this is not necessarily what we would pick above all others. It was like, what's a weird one that people don't think about? Yeah, outside the box. Yeah, Yeah. outside the box. Exactly. The only other thing that I would add to what you said, we picked Christmas films. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Again, nothing against Hanukkah films, nothing against Kwanzaa films, any other holiday that anyone celebrates. More power to you. We will say happy holidays, I'm sure, to sign off here today. Mm -hmm. But we were raised on Christmas. I'm a product of my environment. Yeah. And my parents were ignorant Christians, and they only let me watch Jesus movies and Santa movies. So that's what you're getting today. Uh, yeah, mine were Catholics, you know, same same sitch. And you know, it's funny you mentioned the Hanukkah films and other holiday films. I definitely looked up Hanukkah films. There's like two. There's like two. And I don't, one of them was Eight Crazy Nights. Adam Sandler mm-hmm. is one of the only things that came up. Anyway, I tried as all. I just want that on record, but I did try. <laughs> And then the last thing that's going to help keep us in line a little bit today, and we're going to try this for the first time and see Mm -hmm. if it helps. It might just go completely haywire. We might get halfway through and say, fuck it. But we're going to put ourselves on a little bit of a shot clock. So each film that we talk about, because we will be talking about six films, we want to get out of here in an hour, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we're going to put ourselves on like, what what do you want to say? Eight minutes per movie? Is that fair? Eight minutes feels safe. Yeah. Okay. So you got eight minutes to sort of talk through it together. And another thing that I should mention is because we're drinking eggnog, you guys are going to hear me clearing my throat a lot today. And I apologize. (laughs) It's going to be disgusting. But yeah, so eight minutes per film and we will see how this goes. Yeah, we will. Also, again, lactose free, at least. I don't know if that helps at all. Does that help with the the flemminess of it all? 
I don't know. I put a lot of cinnamon and nutmeg in here. Ooh, I don't know if that a, made a difference. You did. That's right. Okay, y'all. I didn't leave him high and dry. I gave him cinnamon and nutmeg in the initial mix. And then I was like, feel free to pepper in some more. And you went hard. It came tumbling out <laughs> of there. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Okay, All right. Well, we're going to make it through. All right. So you're in charge of the clock. Okay? All right. I, I'm on this. And also the up. other thing we should share with you guys, we did this in order of release inside of each category. Yes. So we're starting with our classics. We feel like that's the way to go. Um, yeah. Get the ones out of the way that sort of when you list anybody lists their top three to five Christmas it. or everybody knows it. So we sure. didn't feel the need to do a traditional list because it's like you you can get that on any podcast sure. so but yeah let's get those out of the way okay so let's start are you gonna start me off yeah here we go go okay the first selection again in order of release was mine actually mm -hmm. and my favorite classic again i told you this off mic was really hard for me to select so i went with the pathway of if i did not have time to watch anything else that christmas what would be the one that i would watch mm -hmm. and that was how the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, an excellent choice. Yeah, it's, you know, it's shorter. So, you know, very watchable anytime. Like, I think I watch it multiple times every Christmas, actually. Mm -hmm. I think I watch it, like, throughout the month a couple of times. And then on Christmas Day. I never, ever miss it on Christmas Day. And if I have, ooh, that would be <laughs> terrible. Anyway, so, yeah, that's my favorite for all the reasons. But not least of which, like, who doesn't actually love the Grinch deep down? You know? This this character screams Mackenzie to me, and when you hear the rest of Mackenzie's choice, they, there's reasons based on the the opinions Mackenzie has had on different films that we've done already. I'm like, yeah, I could see why Mackenzie would love the Grinch because I'm Grinchy. Is that that's yeah? I, I mean, you can words. say it; it's fine. Listen, <laughs> I do feel very similarly to the Grinch. Let's be honest there, and I've seen a meme of this. This is not an original quote by any means, but it's definitely that meme of. Let's be honest, the Grinch didn't hate Christmas. He hated people, which was totally valid. <laughs> and I have maybe never resonated with anything so hard. So, yeah, yeah I'm with the Grinch. Like, stay out my business. Uh, it's going to be me and my dog mm -hmm. up in the mountain. Like, that is totally my vibe. I like the other one, too, where it's basically talking about, yeah, if I had the narrators talking shit about me the entire film, I'd probably be pretty fucking miserable, too. Yeah. Just like they wrote songs about how mean I am. Like, yeah, I'm they just going to do my own thing up in the mountains here. Thank you. It's a great song, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's another reason to love this movie. Thurl Ravenscroft singing You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Uh, incredible. Also, there's lots of great versions of this song. If you haven't heard it, that's the classic. That's the best one for sure. Yep. But anyway, I just love the the whole vibe. I like how I like the classic animation. I really do think that that's fun. We don't see a lot of that. You know, these days it's a lot of CGI mm -hmm. and, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, what looks like animation. And I'm super not up on animation technology. Mm -hmm. Let me just be super honest. But, you know, they have uh, they're fewer and fewer classic looking animated films. And I love that about this. It's a nice little throwback every time. The look, and it's what, 1966? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the look of it is very classic, but it doesn't feel completely dated. It, yeah. it feels modern enough that children today yeah. still watch it. And I think that, to its credit, is the fact that it's been remade, what, three to four times already? And yeah. each of those versions is enjoyable in their own way. But the fact that we still will sit down and watch the original speaks volumes. See, it's funny you say that because I feel strongly... I, I will watch them, mm -hmm. but the others are like just not it for me. That's fair. For sure. And I know people, including Skylar, I had this debate with him about how he's like, 
the the remake with Jim Carrey is the one. And I'm like, mm-hmm. absolutely not. That is traumatizing as fuck. And but I just think that the classic just still checks all the boxes. And I'm sure yeah. part of that's the nostalgia. Part of that's the story and the animation and the music and all the things. Um, but I also just don't think they've really fully done the original story justice since. Mm-hmm. I still think that's the best version I do. And they did it in a quick, tight 26 minutes or whatever it is. I think it's kind of like, I don't know if I were to make a really weird analogy at this point. It's like making a remaking a film from 1966. The thing that makes it charming is its simplicity. So when you say they haven't properly done the story, it's like, well, there's the story is so easy. Mm-hmm. But then you bring it into the aughts and the 2010s and it's, oh, let's stretch it out to 95 minutes yeah. and give more pathos to this mm-hmm. character. Like, no, dude, mm-hmm. just. The story is the story. Leave it be. Right. Like they can keep it, keep it tight and still tell the story. And I think it's very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say we also can't forget to mention Boris Karloff and the incredible performance. Like he is he's a one man show, practically, mm-hmm. literally, other than, mm-hmm. you know, Cindy Lou's character um, in this whole film. And he does all the voices. He does the narration voice, which is really classic, obviously. But then he does the Grinch voice, too. And he changes his oh. voice. and but a fun little factoid about that is that he had originally done just I think I can't remember if it was the narrator voice or the Grinch voice, but he had just I think it was the narrator voice that he had done throughout. And then he realized it sounded too too similar throughout. And then he added in a, a Grinch voice and redid it. So interesting. And this is the same Boris Karloff that played Frankenstein's monster. I think so. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, for for. No other reason, maybe, than I don't think there's another Boris Karloff in the world. I'm just, like, <laughs> I, well, I'm going through my head and I'm like, I know this name. Where do I know him from? He wasn't in Ocean's Eleven. So it must have been Frankenstein's monster. Pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, that's our man, you know, and he does a great job. So I, I think he's he's super excellent for the role. He's, he was a voice actor, obviously, and compliments the Grinch's voice so well, like exactly who you would think would be this ornery and angry at all the people. But also, you know, he he comes to realize that these people aren't so bad. And it's such a sweet moral of the story, kind of Christmassy story at the end. And But I love in the animation, I never forget that when he's slicing the roast beast, mm-hmm. you know, I love that one, they call it roast beast. It's not like turkey or whatever. They're like this unnamed Some beast. form of animal. Meat product. <laughs> like, is what Spam, I- if you will. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But then it's like this infinite roast beast. I don't yeah. know if you remember that. Like he's just cutting yeah. and cutting and yeah. cutting. And it's one of those animation tricks where it's like you can use the same cut of the animation over and over. Mm-hmm. So it's just it playing that same cut of the meat over and over and over. And I just love that. I'm like, man, that is a magical roast beast for sure. <laughs> so good. Anyway, so do you love this one? This is my I favorite. do really enjoy it. Yeah, I have no no faults with it whatsoever. If it's on TV every year, th- there's a lot of these where because I, I don't have cable. I haven't had cable for the better part of like 15 years at this point. Yeah, so when I go visit my parents or Janelle's parents, whatever's on TV, I will sit down and watch. And typically, you know, if the Grinch it's is the on, Grinch. I'm not going to change the channel. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, what a rave review, first of all. <laughs> Uh, second of all, yeah, I don't think I've had cable in forever. I mean, I think in my whole life I've had cable like a grand total of two years. We don't get fancy over here. But I do think they play it every year along with a few other classics, which makes me super happy. But I own it, of course, in my wall of movies that you guys will someday see uh, eventually. I keep talking about it. We're going to take a picture (laughs) of it at some point. Yeah. And with the, I guess with a little bit of the last minute here on The Grinch, one thing that I wanted to point out about our lists here is I found it interesting how many of the the films out of our six are either about 
they're more about the Christmas spirit as opposed mm. to the Jesus story or the Santa yeah. story in most cases. Like there's a little bit of Santa in the Grinch, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but it's cool to me that these films are more about just this Christmas spirit of being kind to each other and being generous. I liked that. That vibes for me, too, that I would like a non-Jesus story. So <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Last little nugget I'll give you. I forgot. Uh, Dr. Seuss didn't want Boris Karloff. Did you know that? I had no, I didn't know Dr. Seuss had opinions on anything. Tell me more. Uh, he did not want him. He thought it would be too scary. And it's probably because Frankenstein. Yes, I did Google it while we were looking. And Boris Karloff is famous from the Universal Monster picture. So not just Frankenstein, but he was in a handful of in those a different bunch. ones. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, when I went to Universal Studios, I think they had featured him in like the, uh, there's a really cool makeup display they do there. And it's like all the yes. horror stuff that yep. he was in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. That's okay. super cool. Awesome. Yeah. Mackenzie, any final thoughts on how the Grinch stole Christmas? Just that it's- just kidding. You're out of time. Oh, what a dick move. I mean, I loved it, actually. It was smooth, but also- Go ahead. Go ahead. Hit us. Well, just that I love it. It's my favorite. It brings me back to the, the Christmas nostalgia every year without fail. And it's a nice little consumable. And in the Christmas craziness, mm-hmm. that's actually one of the things I like about it, too, is that it's short and you can watch it with people around in between cooking stuff like whatever and you know one of the downsides about the whole culture of watching these films on cable is commercials but with the grinch because it's a shorter Mm runtime you can knock that baby out with commercials in like an hour or so yeah that's such a good call out yeah i don't believe in commercials though Uh, i'll (laughs) loan you the dvd next time appreciate it so we are on to my first choice my fate my christmas classic if you will i don't think this is gonna surprise anybody who knows me but i'm gonna go with the first home alone I feel like that's nine-year-old Lamar doing his thing, just watching these two men get bludgeoned to death by this child. And it just, the nostalgia factor for me as well of just associating with my childhood not not that I experienced those things. Mm-hmm. Not, mm-hmm. Wasn't, I, didn't. I was going to say, this feels like a humble brag. Like, <laughs> little kid Lamar was a little badass is what I'm hearing. I think we all wanted to be Kevin McAllister. Let's be yeah. honest. We all thought, we were like, not that we all wanted to get robbed, but hey, yeah. if the opportunity presents itself, I could probably You want to be ready to set take some, some traps. Yeah. For sure. I think also the thing that maybe gets overlooked with, well, at least I had overlooked, I haven't I don't watch this every year. Maybe that's a crime to say. I don't watch this every year. But I did a rewatch uh, both last year and this year. And what stood out to me again is that he is supposed to be eight. Yeah. Like, it is not just, oh, we want to be Kevin McAllister, like, badass kid. (laughs) He is an Uh eight-year-old. And I think of, like, my sister's kiddos when they were eight. I think about me when I was eight. And listen, I'm a resourceful motherfucker. Like, (laughs) this is kind of my baseline as a human being. I don't think that I could have done all this shit and come up with it. Like, yeah. bananas. It's so, yeah, he's aspirational, for sure. <laughs> I also want to point out how quickly Marv and Harry escalate from just standard B&E robbing empty homes and maybe some property damage to wanting to literally murder, murder a child. Kid. Murder this kid. Yeah. And also, like, I, I, this is one of those you kind of have to suspend your disbelief in a lot of ways yeah. to get through. I think especially as an adult on a rewatch, you're like, <laughs> let me find every flaw in how this plan and yeah. how this could have possibly occurred. And I'm super guilty of that every time I watch it. I'm like, mm-hmm. there's no way. But that was the thing that, yeah, this time stood out to me so hard of of they why do they even try to rob it once they realize the kid is there? Because they fi- they figure it out yeah, that he's home yeah. alone. Mm-hmm. And I remember the moment where Joe Pesci's character is like, he's home alone. Let's do it. He commits yeah. to it fully. And I'm mm-hmm. like, why would you do that? 
you're going to terrify the kid. You're going to maybe hurt the kid. Is the shit inside that particular house worth it versus other homes? It just was so weird to me. Yeah. Suspension of disbelief is the name of the game. Yeah. With Home Alone. Sure. Especially when they catch him at the end and say, I'm going to bite off your fingers one by one. I was like, oh, oh God, this is darker than I remember. That's fun. But spinning off of that, everyone hands these guys their flowers. But I don't think you have the success of Home Alone and the second one without Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci just fucking killing it yeah. in their yeah. roles. And two guys on such different career tracks. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe Pesci had done the Scorsese films and all these badass mobster mm-hmm. characters mm-hmm. and was kind of figuring out yeah. what he was going to do next. And meanwhile, Daniel Stern's got a few films under his belt, but a more traditional comedic actor. And just watching it, I just had this appreciation for how all in they both go in yeah. these characters. Yeah. And he's like, this, you know, Joe Pesci in particular, who had done all these like hardcore films, like you said, mm-hmm. is now this like kind of lumbering buffoon. Like, yes, he's definitely the smarter <laughs> of the two, but they're both buffoons and they're both idiots. And yeah, so I think it's interesting to see that transition. Uh, knowing we're on a clock, I have to say something before I forget. Let's hear it. I, I this is maybe going to sound really stupid. So I'm actually kind of self-conscious bringing this up. Hey, no judgment here. But on the rewatch, mm-hmm. I realized that I think sounds so dumb maybe i think they were trying to imply like magical involvement like not just this thing happened where she you know they leave the kid it's a miscount situation blah 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 blah. but what i noticed was like a few notably sort of magical implication moments where okay let's hear i'm curious so like um gosh i'm trying to remember them all so one of them was the night before when he wishes that his family would disappear right he's gotten in trouble he's in the attic he's alone blah 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 And it cuts to outside where the wind starts kicking up and it just starts blowing and whistling and getting kind of loud. And like, and it's just by itself for a minute before anything Mm -hmm. happens. It's just kind of whistling. But then it knocks down the power line, right? It does the stuff that knocks out the the alarm. A little bit of a Final Destination prequel going on here. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like, I was like, this is, and I said out loud, I was like, wait, are they saying this is magic? Like, okay. I was just like, whoa. And so I had never watched it that way. I have never picked up on that. Of course, we know the alarm clock, you know, gets unplugged mm-hmm. or gets loses power or whatever. And that's why they're late and why they miscount and all these things. Yeah. But to me, it was like that focal point of, oh, they're implying that there's this magical moment. The other one that stands out to me is when he yells mom at one point when he's home alone and he's looking for her. Yeah. She still doesn't know he's missing. She's in first class on the plane and she kind of wakes up. And like to a start. And she doesn't immediately realize that he's gone. It's not the moment where she yells Kevin. It's the moment where she's like, whoa, I got a bad feeling. And like, again, it just felt like another moment of magic. And there were a couple other small ones that don't come to mind right now. But while I was watching it, that was a whole new lens for me. Yeah, I could see how you could read it that way. I think the second one is probably more just a a moment of intuition and definitely a director's choice. But I could see I, I would buy into that. I always thought it was weird. When I was a kid, when that that scene happened with like the wind and the power line getting knocked out, I guess there was another way to to work and there around were a that. A few but... others, like kind of at the church and mm-hmm. one with the creepy neighbor guy, but who's not actually mm-hmm. a creep. And mm-hmm. there were a few others that I was like, I super think they're implying some kind of magical universe involvement, like to teach him a lesson, yeah. right? Like to teach him a lesson of no, you don't hate your family, you don't miss your family that way, mm-hmm. you know, or you do miss your family rather. And he starts to realize you you see him early on try to be like, I'm cool. I'm Kerr, you know, <laughs> and then he progresses to like, well, if I do this, then maybe somebody will come back and stop me. You know, he's eating a gallon of yeah. ice cream <laughs> and it's like he's secretly wishing they'll come back. 
So yeah. I don't know. I thought there was a little bit more magic to it this time around. I could see that. I could see that. I think the most people probably know this, but in case you don't, I always think this is one of my favorite fun facts about Home Alone is that the classic line of Buzz's girlfriend, woof, which gets quoted still to this day, that line, that photo of the girlfriend is actually like the like the writer's nephew. It's a boy. <laughs> Because they felt so, they were like, we're not going to take some female child actress and put her in this photo and, like, and make fun say on film how ugly she is. Yeah. So they had a boy put on a wig and make that Buzz's girlfriend. I, that's one of my favorite Home Alone facts. I didn't know that. Yes. That's kind of them because that would have been harsh. I mean, it kind of looks like that, but yeah, I didn't know. Well, I mean, it looks like a boy in a wig. I didn't know that it was the, what, director's nephew you said? It's either the director, the writer's nephew, son. It's somebody like, like that. Somebody related to right. one of the folks involved on the crew. And I guess with the last 20 seconds or so here, favorite Home Alone 1 trap. What's your favorite booby trap that he sets? Uh, I think maybe the um, the blowtorch to the head. Yeah, that's yeah. a classic. And as I was saying that out loud, I was switching gears, by the way, because there are so many good ones. Like, there yeah. really are. Yeah. The blowtorch is the first one that I typically remember, but the paint cans are a classic. The paint cans are Just... a classic. The other one that stands out to me is the ornaments, because it's, like, so simple yet so painful. The number on rewatch, I'm reminded every time of they just never look down where they're walking. I know. They would avoid so many things they're if so they just look down. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is why they get caught the way that they do, but they deserve it, so I'm here for it. Awesome. So that was eight minutes on Home Alone. And you want to segue us into what's our next section here? Okay. So these are technically our modern ones. And one feels super modern. One feels a little bit less modern. So I'm kind of excited to talk about these. But we should qualify too what modern meant to us. We qualified this as anything post 2000, because that's still like 23 years ago, folks. Yeah. uh, Did I make you feel old? You're welcome. It still fucked me up a little bit to be like, oh, well, Home Alone is my classic. And that came out in 93. And I'm looking at all these other options like, oh, Elf only came out 10 years later. But to me, that feels new. Totally different. It feels totally different. I know. Yeah. If you want to feel old, come to We Drink and We Watch Things. Aging sucks, y'all. Aging does suck. But the movies don't. So our first one is your selection. Yeah, so this is one that is not a traditional Christmas movie. I would lump this in with like a Die Hard or like an action film that takes place during Christmas, but has a little bit of the Christmas spirit in it. And it is 2005's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Which is amazing. It's so fucking good. And you've got Shane Black. And doing a little research on him, I knew that he had done the third Iron Man film. Mm -hmm. I knew that he had done... The Nice Guys with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, not to be confused with Goodfellas. I realize mm-hmm. it's easy to mix those two. The Nice Guys <laughs> and Goodfellas. Radically different yeah, vibes, it, but yeah. Yeah, so he had done that. He wrote and directed that. I didn't realize he had also written the original Lethal Weapon, mm-hmm. which when you yeah. think about that of where his career went of yeah. just, hey, I'm really good at writing this one type he of is. movie with two cops that are like at odds. He is really good at writing these like dynamic duos in mm-hmm. whatever format. And yeah, he's a great writer, director. I think what's really fun about this film. Well, number one, I had such a hard time coming up with this list altogether, but I loved where you went with it. So mad props well, to you. you because Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is one of my favorite movies, like in general, again, maybe like a top 25, top 30 kind oh. of thing for me. I love this fucking movie, but... I never think of it as a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those, you know, age old debates of is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Is this a yeah. Christmas movie? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. 
And I don't really think of it that way. So I tried to watch it with that lens. I never watch it at Christmas. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I don't think of it that way. But I watched it with that lens and I was like, I can kind of see because a a little bit different than Die Hard, where I think it just takes place during Christmas. Right. There are so many Christmassy conversations Mm -hmm. and themes and parties Mm -hmm. and this and that. And uh, and they talk about Christmas. And I feel like it's a little bit more centered in the story than I remembered, actually, on a rewatch, at least. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite of the point that I made earlier when I said that most of the movies that we've selected have to do with the Christmas spirit. I don't th- I think this is obviously a dark <laughs> comedy action film, so it's not going to give you the warm fuzzies, but it no. is so fun to watch. So- and the thing that stood out to me was just... This movie is such a snapshot in time, a rare snapshot of 2005 in Hollywood because you have Robert Downey Jr. Mm -hmm. three years before he does Iron Man. Man. So he's still in the process of rebuilding his career. I'm not sure where he's out. Like, I'm I'm hoping he was out of rehab by this point and stuff. Sorry, what were you going to say? He is. He is. Sorry, I just meant in the rebuild. This is a big one for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those. It's I looked at the stretch before Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And it's like, shit, he didn't do. I mean, he did a scanner darkly in there, which yeah. is sort of an indie indie hit and a couple others. But, you know, it's him in that stage. It's Val Kilmer in this odd phase of his career where he sort of started. He, I mean, he had done comedies before when he was younger, but he's sort of starting to embrace the campiness after he had been a leading man for most of the 90s. And, you know, he takes on this silly role here and that leads to him doing stuff like MacGruber and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, And like props to Val Kilmer. Dude's a legend. One, he's a legend. Two, he makes this shift into this role, I think, so fucking Mm -hmm. gracefully and hilariously. Like this is one of my favorites of him period him as gay perry he's named that, that is his name i gay didn't perry. fucking do it but <laughs> yeah him as gay perry is one of the funniest fucking things in the world for myriad reasons one he's you know he quote plays it straight so to speak mm-hmm. but he's super committed to being gay you know and mm-hmm. it's totally fine but it's called out over and over and over and he makes a joke of it all the time and that's one little asterisk i would say about this movie on a rewatch is you know the jokes don't all hold up for all the reasons. It is a 2005 right. situation. Yeah. Like some of these are maybe not so uh, safe to make anymore. Yeah. But one, it was hilarious when it came out. Two, it's still super funny. Like yeah. even if you're a little self-conscious about laughing things at things here or there, at least I was here and there. Yeah. I'm still like, I just can't help. It. It's so funny. My thing is always, you know, is there malicious intent behind no, yeah, the stuff so here? Mm-hmm. And we had these conversations around Tarantino and whatnot, mm-hmm. too, of like, Clearly, the characters are being malicious, but are they being true to what they would say? In this, I think it is played for laughs, but in a friendly way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I super enjoy this film. I don't want to spoil any. As we get further into our modern Christmas yeah. films and when we get into our dark horses, I feel like the further we get into this this specific episode, the less people that will have seen these. So I don't want to spoil anything major about the movie. But yeah, it's a great one for Christmas and for as silly and cynical and over the top as it is, it does just it puts me in a good mood and it makes me laugh. It's really it's worth noting that it's structured really well. It's Mm -hmm. paced really well. Like Mm -hmm. there's these transitions where it announces the phases of the of the parts of the movie, part one, part this, part two, whatever. And it does a great job of that in a funny way. And one of the really cool features about it is that, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s character is throughout one of the main characters, but he's also the narrator. And right. he really leans into the fact that he's a narrator. He now announces it to you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't see another fucking narrator. So pipe down. I <laughs> love it. it. And I think it really lends 
um, some structure and some additional humor to to the whole movie as a uh, throughout. But also, I think like I mean, it's been out for a hot minute, so I would go see it if you haven't already. Yes, it's it, unfortunately whatever. I realized when we were getting ready to, after I already texted you my titles. It's not streaming, which is a bummer. I own it. I, it's fine. Okay. Well, for you, <laughs> but for our listeners, Mackenzie. Jesus. Oh, this isn't all about me? I <laughs> no. thought it was my podcast. No, so sorry. here's the deal. Uh, right now, our audience is small enough. I know a lot of my friends listen to this. If you have never seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and you want to watch it during Christmas week, Go ahead, order it. I will Venmo you the $4 to rent it. Yes, the audience is small, so I will give you my password to stream it. I own it. Just shoot me a message on We Drink and We Watch Things Instagram. Yes. And I will make that happen for you because, again, this is such a great movie, and it's something that I think everybody should see. The jokes are are so great, and and it's just so well-written. He is such a good writer. I was going to say, I I think people have varying levels of enjoying Shane Black as a director. He actually hasn't directed that many times. He's got like four times as many writing credits, but I think just he he has dialogue that catches me off guard. And when you've seen enough films, especially comedy films, you go, you start guessing exactly what the joke mm-hmm. is going to be. And with Shane Black, I have a really hard time doing that. It's also just like a witty repartee. Mm-hmm. You know, the pacing is so good. Where yes. They are on each other. And there aren't a lot of writers like that in Hollywood to begin with, but there aren't a lot of people who do it well and do it where it feels real. Another mm-hmm. one, I think, being like Ermin, Amy Sherman Palladino, right, who wrote Gilmore Girls, for example, and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Those are like that. The yeah, or like Letter is, Kenny, I hear, gets yeah. compared to Gilmore Girls. It's just like nobody really yet, talks yes. like that in real life, but in film, in cinema, it's really enjoyable. It's really enjoyable. It's really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, maybe that's not how people actually talk, but it plays like it's real and mm-hmm. it's really, yeah, fun and witty and I yeah. really like it. So One other little fun fact that I, as I went to the IMDb page for this one, something I never realized is that you actually see Ariel Winter from Modern Family, her very first film role when she was only like seven years old. She's in this mm-hmm. playing the younger version of Michelle Moynihan's character. Yeah, yeah. Another one uh, cameo as uh, Shannon Sossaman. Who of, was like the it a, girl at this point, the, right? It, well, this is, I think, after her it girl has fizzled a Okay, this was after A Night's joined, Tale. after A Night's Tale and... What is it? 40 Days and 40 Nights that mm-hmm. she did with Josh mm-hmm. Hartnett. But she was, yeah, she was an it girl for a hot minute, but like a minute. Yeah. And I thought she was going to be a lot bigger, actually, if for no other reason than a night's tale. She has a unique smile. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is. She does this thing when she smiles or she like always bites one of her lips mm-hmm. and she only smiles with her top teeth. But I'm like, that's, that's she knows what she's doing. It's a very unique look. It's on purpose. Yeah. 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 No, I, I actually really like, I, especially again in A Night's Tale, I really liked her. And here she's brief, but interesting. You know, they yeah. play her well. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was a little bit of a, I remember seeing it live and being like, oh, that there's Sheenan Sossman. <laughs> nice to see you. All right. Last 10 seconds. Last thing I want to say, because we didn't actually tell you anything about the plot, but just to just to tell you, it's kind of a murder mystery, kind of a buddy cop movie. Very funny. Very fun. Period. Go watch this film. I will Venmo you, friends. Go watch it. And yeah, props again. Props on you for a good choice. I was I was stoked to have to watch it again. I had no idea it ranked that high for you. So that was really cool for me to hear just now. Yeah, this is one of those that I recommend to people a lot. I don't know how popular it was when it came out. You know what I mean? Like it was to me is a great movie, but uh, and it's well rated. You know, Mm -hmm. it's got good reviews and things. But I don't know. I don't. There are so many people I talk to who have never seen it, I guess, anecdotally, I would say. And so I recommend it a lot. Go yeah. watch it, y'all. Okay, yeah. we are on to Mackenzie's. Okay, so mine's 
modern, super modern, actually. It's 2019, so only four years old. And it is available to stream. You're welcome. It is Klaus on Netflix. And this is an interesting choice to me, at least, because one, I had a hard time picking a modern one. I think the common one that a lot of people think of would be like Elf. You know, because yeah, it's, it's yep. a modern Christmas movie that that I do find enjoyable, which fun fact took me a, a while to actually like it. But um, that's neither here nor there. Klaus is one that I loved instantly. Yeah. And that is something that I think stood out to me. So when I was trying to think of like a modern one that maybe not everybody has seen, but mm-hmm. also like I would feel no shame whatsoever recommending somebody go spend two hours of their life watching this Mm -hmm. is one of the ones that i definitely stood out to me so if you haven't seen it it's an animated film on netflix Mm -hmm. that is a modern retelling i mean period piece but a modern retelling of the santa claus story and how the origin the origin story of how santa claus came to be and it's actually klaus as we learn Mm -hmm. um but it's beautifully done i think it's yeah. this the cast is stacked. We got Jason Schwartzman, mm-hmm. J.K. Simmons, Rashida Jones, mm-hmm. a few other great ones. Joan Cusack, uh, Norm Macdonald, can't overlook him. R.I.P. One of his last main major film roles. I, was say, I think he had one last... tiny little cameo after this, but this I think was his last major film. His role. last major one, mm-hmm. yeah. And he's so funny in this, and he's kind of like his typical like norm mcdonald dry dry, sarcastic humor but it plays so well here and yeah so the voice acting in this is incredible like goes Mm -hmm. without saying um but yeah it's a little bit newer so i'll give you a quick premise which is that you have this really spoiled young man in jason schwartzman's character who is working at the time trying to learn how to be a postman and his, his father is his like, father's yeah. the the head of the postal service and is very wealthy and and this kid has been super spoiled and had every privilege he possibly could have mm-hmm. but he keeps you know basically squandering these opportunities one after the next and kind of as a punishment from his dad for like purposely trying to fail he sends him up to you know nowheresville norway. north pole no literally in norway but yeah. supposed to be middle of nowhere and you know snow-capped mountain area and glaciers mm-hmm. and all these things where this is the only town for what hundreds and hundreds thousands of miles and like maybe. fun fact that's how parents used to ground their children was mm-hmm. back in the day you know you always hear about how your ancestors had it harder than you they used to get sent to fucking norway when they were bad uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. uphill both ways in the snow too no no shit yeah so if you had in trouble back then you went to norway which i feel like our norway we do have a listener in norway by the way if this is your week. This is your week. And we apologize for insulting Norway because it wasn't us who did it. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so he gets in trouble. He goes up to Norway and he has to go to this town where two rival families are really what populates this town. And they hate mm-hmm. each other and they don't have anything to say to one another. They have nothing to do with fight. Nobody's sending a fucking letter. That's for sure. Right. And he's trying to essentially establish postal service. That's his challenge. That's his shtick. And he, needless to say, really struggles to do it. But inadvertently, in his attempts to get free of this sentence, brings the fucking town together and also creates Santa Claus by accident. It's like, good for you, man. I know. He just, like most white men we ever meet, he failed up. You know, this is this is just commitment. Yo, yo, you guys can't see this, but I'm pointing to myself. <laughs> You're halfsies. It's fine. But yeah, no, he he definitely fails up. He fail he succeeds by accident for sure, and creates this beautiful community by virtue of trying to just get a fuck ton of letters 
in the mail. That's really what it comes down to. That's a that is a great summary. And I will say this is my first time watching this literally last night. Had never even heard of it, I don't think. Really? And then looked at the reviews. I was like, shit, people really like Dig This. Just cut, touching on a couple of your points. Yeah, the cast is incredible. You've also got Will Sasso of Mad TV fame thrown in there as mm-hmm. well. Always mm-hmm. good at doing voices and characters. Yeah, he's and, like the Ellingbow side. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the animation, you talked about how beautiful it was. I was, I, it looked like nothing I had ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I Google it and it's because it was a unique, essentially they wanted to do, the director wanted to do hand-drawn classic animation because he was sort of anti everything being CGI at this point. I think CGI is great. So the, yeah, you know, there's yeah. some great Pixar and different studios making some great stuff, but he was like, I want it to feel classic. But he also used modern lighting techniques to sort of layer the animation. Mm-hmm. So it's weird when you look at it, not weird, it's unique when you look at it because it's kind of like looking at a classic 80s or 90s Disney cartoon, but almost it looks like it's in 3D in a way. Like there's layers to it. And I dug that. It does look like layers. I think that's really a really great description of it. I don't know if that's a technical term, but it does look (laughs) like layers. And worth noting, the directors are two Hispanic guys who, uh, shout out, did an incredible fucking job telling like a white guy story. So that's Mm -hmm. awesome. But yeah, no, it was beautifully animated. And I think that's maybe... Why, even though it's modern, like I really loved it as an instant classic because it it did feel nostalgic in that way, to your point. But I also felt like what was fun about it is it was definitely juxtaposed against like some new music, you know, some hip hop, Mm -hmm. some like fun modern music. And it was, again, peppered in, I thought, in just the right way at just the right time. There's a really notable moment where he's like, strutting down you know the (laughs) the street where he's so proud of himself and he looks great and he's got like the beat to it it works so well and then it's not just him who transitions as a character it's everybody like that's the whole point like everybody Mm -hmm. in this town slowly transitions to kind of this what like community Mm -hmm. you know really and it it hits it really hits home for me and i think it's a also kind of a magical telling too yeah, I liked I, I picked up on that when you see the snow sort of swirl and I don't want to spoil like the end of the film and stuff, but I saw some of that magic early on. And again, this was one where I just loved the message behind it because I was a little worried at first. I was like, wait, so the kids are all just changing their behavior because of a fear of Santa Claus. Like this feels like a religious metaphor to me of like, oh, yeah. I don't want bad things to happen, so I'm going to be good or I want to get rewarded, so I'm going to be good. But they address that in the film and I thought that was great to see it actually be brought up of like hey when there's no presence what's going to happen and like we get a happy ending so much spoil everyone knows it's going to be a happy i was going to say like, yeah. it's it's a so, christmas movie it's yeah. happy but it actually on the, on that note it gets kind of a bittersweet ending i think and it's really uh i think it's pretty moving ending actually the way it, yes. even though it's a little hard it's really again beautifully done and it leads into the santa claus story in a really poetic way i think yeah. And going along with that of it, the the ending and the way that it gets a little bittersweet, a little a little heavy for the first half hour, I will say I was uh, having a hard time getting on board right away mm-hmm. because it's a kid's movie. At the end of the day, it is a kid's movie. And the first half hour is definitely I'm a kid in my heart. So it's a Mackenzie <laughs> and kids movie. And the the first half hour is very much physical comedy, animation, yeah. Joe, you know, very like children's humor. I'm here for it. I'm fine with it. But around like the, a third of the way into the movie, they start getting into the more, OK, here's the stuff for the adults. And then you get in. And I was getting emotional in the last half hour. Yeah. I'm like, shit, dude, this is hitting home. I got the feels, so, man. Yeah. 
So you know, you. it's funny you say it's a kid's movie. I'm sure we have to wrap. But what was funny is uh, my sister's kiddos are my kids by proxy. Mm-hmm. And I, I love and adore them. And when this came out and I fell in love with it, I like immediately made them watch it with me. They could have given, could not have given less of a fuck. Really? Yeah. That's a bummer. Did not even get through it with me. And I was like, again, to your point, emotional on the couch and my children are leaving me. I was like heartbroken. I think it could be if you took the title Klaus off of it. The first 30 minutes, you don't have any inclination that that's where this is leading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I'm a kid and yeah. I don't know that it's going to be a Santa movie, I probably am not that invested at the start. That might be what happened there. Maybe. Yeah. Also, maybe it's just that kids can't get through movies anymore. Fucking little, always looking on their phones. Attention spans, you know. Ugh, fucking kids. <laughs> happy Christmas, okay. everybody. Happy fucking Christmas. Watch Klaus. <laughs> And get the the solid community, familial, loving moral of that fucking story. So moving on from that one, we're into our sort of dark horse candidates, our sort of outside the box holiday Christmas films. And I had a couple options here and we promised we weren't going to talk about 50 movies today. So hit me up on the Instagram if you want to know what those were. But I'm going to throw it back to one that I think most folks my age have seen, but I realized just this year is absolutely worth revisiting, and that is Gremlins. Yeah, 1984. 1984, the year I was born. I had only seen it maybe once or twice when I was a kid. I think I actually watched the second one more than I watched the first one, which a lot of people will probably think is blasphemy because it's definitely goofier and more silly and over the top. Both are, you know, very silly. But um, so I saw it once or twice when I was a kid and then just never went back and revisited the original until about a week ago. That was my pick right away. I just forgot how enjoyable this film is. Uh, Well, fun fact, I have never seen Gremlins 2, so I can't participate in that comparison. You have to watch it because then you have to go and watch the Key and Peele sketch where they go into the boardroom of pitching Gremlins 2, and it is infinitely much more funny if you under I love those sticks about how you would pitch a movie, (laughs) like pick up almost any movie that ended up being really good but trying to pitch it. That's a whole other thing. Anyway, sidebar. But yeah, I never saw Gremlins 2, so I don't know about that. I do know the general plot of Gremlins 2 just by virtue of timing and things, and I have questions. So yeah, I should watch (laughs) it. But yeah, I so funny you say that. I was going to tell you the exact same thing, that I did not watch this much at all as a child. I think I saw it once, and I don't even know if I watched it all the way through in one shot. You know what I mean? It was one of those things that was in the background maybe or we didn't see in my family like we just didn't this was back when like you didn't go to the theaters as much to begin with i think and Mm -hmm. then secondarily you didn't have as many home videos like vhs and stuff at home so i didn't really see it much unless i was like at a friend's house to be honest so i think i saw it once or twice maybe in bits so this was maybe the first time i watched it all the way through and definitely in my adult life and I remember lots of like the the classic scenes and mm-hmm. stuff that you definitely remember. But there were also all kinds of things that I picked up this time that I just definitely did not, uh, you know, as a kid. And whether it's jokes or animation or yeah. something sad even like it was. Yeah, it was an interesting experience. It's also just I mean, I for 1984, when you go back and watch this, I think that sometimes we forget because of modern technology and CGI and whatever it might be of now you can put. an entirely CGI creature into a live action picture and it looked perfect. I think what they were able to do in this with just puppets, basically. Yeah. And they don't feel like puppets. They feel real. And the the scary ones are scary and the cute ones are cute and whatnot. And there's there's death. I forget how much how many people die in this movie. 
And it, it is a horror gnarly. movie. It's so 80s in that way, though. Yes. It really is peak 80s of just like, we don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, they are they are setting shit on fire. Uh-huh. They are abusing animals. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, terrible, terrible things are happening. Yeah, there's only, and I agree with you, like, they blend. You definitely don't see them as puppets. There's only one character, and I don't remember what it is. There's only one puppet that looks like a puppet. And it's not mm-hmm. even a gremlin-y character. I'm, I have to go back and think of it but it's like it visibly looks her, like her name is phoebe cates and that's really fucking hurtful of you to say <laughs> she's very phoebe if you're listening you are very talented and mackenzie's uh, just jealous my apologies phoebe uh <clears throat> didn't mean that but yeah no i think i agree i think it's so well done and uh but it is it's a little rough uh, uh watch as an adult you're like man one shit gets real two nobody listens three <laughs> these poor little baby animals gizmo is fucking adorable yes like let's just talk about one this. of the gremlins one of the gremlins gizmo the the og mogwai, yeah, mogwai. gremlin yeah. i would say of this particular little group is a super cutie a mm-hmm. sweetheart just like a well-behaved little kid you know when he mm-hmm. does finally feed them after midnight like he's not supposed to he's he's like do you want something because he doesn't realize that it's after midnight mm-hmm. And his kids was like, no, I'm good. I'm a good kid. I'm going to sit here and just sit in my bed and just be a happy little clam. It yeah. was fucking adorable. Yeah. And and then, yeah, it goes off the rails very quickly. It also blows my mind to you when you said no one listens. No one in this film is responsible. No. They find out that when you spill water on them, it makes them multiply times like six. And his thought is, oh, we can breed lots of them and give I'm like, you're going to give these to oh other God. people? His... What happens if one falls into the ocean and now the world yes. is destroyed? His uh, dad, like, immediately sees opportunity to fucking right. breed them and mm-hmm. sell them. And here, like, again, I'm not, this guy's not a villain. He's mm-hmm. a, a very ambitious, really terrible inventor guy. And he's actually kind of sweet with Gizmo and with his son and his family. And he, clearly they have a nice familial home life and all that. Yeah. But man, yeah, that that's exactly where his brain went. The first place that his capitalistic brain went was, let me fucking breed them and sell them to every kid in America. Yeah. And what every kid in America is going to spill water on this thing. Like, are you kidding if me? If you tell a child, don't put water on, what what's the first thing first they're going to do? do? Don't feed it after midnight. That kid's staying up after midnight, <laughs> number one. And so, the parents are going to be pissed. Number two, they're feeding that thing mm-hmm. after midnight. And yeah. So the moral of the story here, guys, is adopt, don't shop, <laughs> is what we're telling you. And listen to your parents, which I thought I would never say. We're serious. But yeah, I think this is one of the earliest examples of a straight, a, an intended horror comedy. I think you can watch some old horror movies and they're unintentionally funny. Mm. I think the earliest one I can think of is American Werewolf in London. I think that one is definitely intended to be a horror yeah. comedy. But this this is up there of and it it I think it hits everything in stride of the laughs are good, the scares are good. I th- also I have to give it I, I don't know how much credit I want to give it, but the you can do so many friggin' jokes when you have a puppet or a monster creature and you just say let's make as many movie or Mm -hmm. archetype references as possible with these things and you just have them at the bar doing this and then you have them here doing this and you have this movie parody it's like this there's so much there i'm so glad you brought that up because one of the main things i wanted to mention and or ask was like holy shit the pop culture awareness yeah. they have day they've been alive for six hours and not only are they playing poker and listening to jazz which by the way takes some time to get into jazz let's be honest i'm a jazz fan take some work then they are sitting at tables with 
leg warmers on who crocheted those for you <laughs> these are tiny little babies and they're they have like the fashion they got a fedora on like the things that they've committed to they're drinking beer they're smoking they're making references they're talking they're just straight up talking yeah and i'm just like how are you this is the word mature developed maybe okay. this quickly well we've said suspension of disbelief those are the three key words to keep in mind with most can't. of the films today Oh, all I right so, i mean i can but i can't and i just yeah but i did think it was super funny they're they're all they're very 80s and yes they're 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 acting out every trope in the book for sure yeah so i guess to wrap it up go watch gremlins if you haven't seen gremlins in two or three decades like i hadn't go rewatch gremlins if you want a little bonus go watch gremlins 2 and then watch the key and peel sketch about gremlins 2 also tell us if you think it's a christmas movie because i do think that's debatable i will say yeah. I do think that's debatable, that's but I am interested to hear your thoughts. So yeah, hit us at the Instagram if you think it if you think it is. Um, okay, so then the next one is mine, and this is gonna take us home actually. Ooh. So we are gonna wrap with this one is not quite as weird per se as uh as Lamar's Dark Horse Fuck you, Gremlins, but it's the man who invented Christmas, which I think is a dark horse because I don't think a lot of people know about it. I had never heard it before. Yeah. I don't know a lot of people have seen this. Everybody that I have sh shown it to had never seen it. Like I've asked folks and I've made them watch it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think a lot of people have seen this. And I'm struggling actually to remember how I discovered it. It could well be my mom. Shout out, mom. It's got uh, a few key players in it that are pretty cool. One of whom is one of my absolute favorites. But the star here is Dan Stevens, mm -hmm. who plays Charles Dickens. And this is the story of Charles Dickens writing A Christmas Carol, which mm -hmm. is the classic of, you know, what, a Muppet Christmas Carol fame. Disney Scrooged, Christmas Carol. Yep. A Disney Christmas Carol, Mickey's Christmas mm -hmm. Yeah, So many versions of this have been, you know, reproduced over the years. Um, but A Christmas Carol is the source material. Mm -hmm. And this is the story of Charles Dickens writing that that story. And how he how we imagine it came to him is really kind of the the, the story. And and Scrooge is played by Christopher Plummer. Mm -hmm. Love that man. So rest in peace. But one of the great loves of my life from an actor perspective, for sure. And then we got a couple other great ones. Jonathan Price makes an appearance. Mm -hmm. Justin Edwards, Ian McNeese, some great, really good cast here. Um, but I just think it's a beautiful imagining of what it would have been like to write such a groundbreaking novel. Yeah, and I will say same thing for me. I highly recommend watching this, especially if you're a big fan of any of those versions of The Christmas Carol, just because it, it, it's it's a different retelling. It's retelling it in a way, but it's a completely different perspective than what we've become accustomed to. And it was cool to see that play out. I will forewarn that this was my first time watching it. I actually didn't know what it was about at all. The first 30 minutes or so took a little warming up for me. And then when things start, once the actual Scrooge character appears and you're seeing Dickens interact with the characters from his own book, that was when it really started to get going for me. And I think like uh, any writer will tell you, and I am not a published author by any means, but I, you know, I was an English lit major in college. I read a lot. I wrote a lot and especially wrote, you know, some some poetry, some fiction, whatever. You do at a certain point feel like you are talking to your characters. Yeah. And to see that personified mm -hmm. in this story, in just an incredible retelling and imagining of what that would be like, 
is so visceral and interesting to watch, I think, where, you know, you would never imagine that to happen. And I most certainly have never had that experience trying to write anything. Uh, but it was so cool to see them literally come to life um, and him crank out this story. I mean, he's seemingly in the, in the film working 24-7, which is yeah. not far off. Some of the yeah. some of the production process that they show here of him trying to get it printed so quickly and being mm -hmm. very precise with the way that he wanted it printed is very close to accurate as far as he wrote it very, very quickly. He did publish some like preview snippets and things, but the whole thing did get cranked out in a matter of weeks, uh, which is incredible for what the story is, for the for the story that it's telling and what it came to be and what a classic it came to be. I mean, Charles Dickens is, you know. Uh, brilliant and, and wrote some incredible work over his career. But I think from a Christmas perspective, it's it's one of the biggest classics there is. Yeah, I think that some of the components of it didn't land 100 percent for me, despite them being mostly true. I actually found the moments where he was writing and he was in his bedroom with the characters to be more interesting than some of the engagements with the real people in his mm -hmm. life. But I did go and look it up as far as how much of this was true of his relationship with his father and his wife and how long he was working on this novel. And obviously it's somewhat fictionalized, but most of this stuff did actually happen. So yeah. I found that to be surprising, honestly. Yeah, it's it's widely believed to be that he bases some of these characters off of people in his real life, you mm -hmm. know, either his family or himself or previous bosses or what have you. Um, and I think it's a really cool retelling of marrying this sort of autobiography vibe mm -hmm. of Charles Dickens to this fictional story that he wrote. Of yes. Him being this kind of optimistic debtor who didn't really care so much about, didn't only care, that is, about the money and success and things. He cared a lot about the story. And, and I think that's because he had really, truly grown up really poor. I mean, a lot of the, the things that are shown yes. in, this, in this film are true. Like he had been at, at the absolute depths of being incredibly poor at a time where it was incredibly difficult to survive, literally. And I, I think that made it actually matter less to him because mm -hmm. it was like, this is achievable. I can get this back. Like, I will work this out. I will take care of my family and what have you. And this ends up being, of course, very successful for him. Yeah. I think that with this, you clearly you have to be a fan of or at least have seen or experienced A Christmas Carol in order to enjoy this film. Oh, it is required yeah. a prerequisite to enjoy Otherwise this. Otherwise, you're going to be so lost. That's such a great point because you really literally won't know what's going on. It's like when you're watching a Marvel film and there's all these references to the comics and Easter eggs and yeah. stuff. You can still enjoy the film on its own without. No, with this, you really have to, I feel like, have seen A Christmas Carol or be familiar with it and get the characters and the things that it's referencing to truly enjoy this. Oh, for sure. And I think there's some great versions out there. I mean, another one that I watch every year is A Muppet Christmas Carol, mm -hmm. which is it's made great by Michael Caine, like playing it straight, you know. <laughs> yeah. But Christopher Plummer is maybe the best Scrooge. I mean, he and I love that for this movie because it's like the origination story of Scrooge. He, yeah. And he does such a great job. And Dan Stevens um, does a beautiful job of playing this kind of frenzied author who is single-minded in his focus mm -hmm. of bringing these characters to life and and having them flesh out that experience. So I love this marrying of a couple of my favorite things in one movie of just, I love watching films and experiencing films, especially creatively written and done films, but also this literary process as well, this reference to both 
the fictional and the non-fictional experience of this author and this story. Um, yeah, it was it was a dark horse for me because I don't think a lot of people see it. I think it's a very unique format. And yeah, it married together, you know, two of my favorite things, really. So I love it. Awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed it my first time through. I, it, it wasn't a 10 out of 10 for me. It did take a little while for it to marinate and sort of to get into it. And like I said, some of the elements didn't land. But I think with all of the movies that we've named here today, if you were to look at their ratings and just ask the average person, they'd probably rank somewhere between like a six and a half and a nine and a half, you know, depending yeah. on. And that's that's sort of what film is in general, but I think especially with holiday movies. So with all of these that we've recommended to you today, it's going to come down to your opinion. We've given you the reasons of, mm -hmm. hey, if you like mm -hmm. this, if you're into A Christmas Carol, if you're into action comedies, if you're into horror comedies, we've given you a variety of stuff. Yeah. Go check it out and let us know what you thought. Yeah, I really do want to hear what you what you think about some of these. But I also uh, would love to open the door for you guys to tell us what you like. I still got some plenty of Christmas movie watching to do. I got mm -hmm. plenty of time to fit it in. And fun fact, if you search Christmas movies on like Netflix and Amazon, all you get are like Hallmark movies. So I need yeah. something better than that, people. <laughs> Send me your Rex. But yes, yeah, so with that in mind, that's a that's a wrap on our Christmas-ish. Thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed it more than the Halloween-ish double two-parter craziness i feel like we kept it together you know the the clock i really enjoyed i uh i expected to get yelled at more often and i didn't and i that think was that... only internally though, oh so. okay, no, okay no you okay. did good you did i was really definitely well. on the edge of my seat i was like i'm <laughs> gonna get cut i'm gonna get hooked off the stage played <laughs> off like the academy award so yeah we made it we did it i loved it um it was a fun experience for me so i hope you guys enjoyed it but yeah so we want to give you a little teaser of next week we are going to be doing a new release, which I think first is a first time. for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to be previewing for you Wonka. Yeah, and we're going to split it up a little bit because obviously with new releases, we don't want to spoil the shit out of something. Mm -hmm. So we'll be doing a mm -hmm. quick intro, sort of a segment at the beginning of what did we think of it overall? Yep. Should you go see it? And then we'll get into the spoilers in the second half. And I think we're going to give a rating at the top, too. So mm -hmm. you won't have to wait to hear it because yeah. uh, we want to tell you whether or not you should go see it. But yeah, feel free also, of course, to watch it before then. It is out now as of this recording. Mm -hmm. So if you want to watch it before so that you can listen to the whole shebang, please feel free to check it out. Uh, and then, yeah, we're going to give you a little we'll give you a little rating and review and then we'll get into our thoughts on it. And that's going to close out the year for us, folks. That'll be the last I one. Think so, right. E is it? Yes, I think we we TBD. TBD. We're Mike, really bad at calendars. We're good. We're not great at calendars. It might close out the year, but either way, I think it's a good way to good way to start next week. And I do want to say that you know that I'm a sucker for a sweet drink, so I am really excited for whatever the fuck we're going to be drinking for Wonka. I I'm already know what we're going to Chocolate syrup. Yes, yes. We're going to do a boozy hot chocolate. Specifically. Oh shit! Okay. Yeah. 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 No, it's, I mean, I, we can't not. So yeah, you're you're going to get the same mug next time too. Hope you don't mind. I know that you've seen Wonka already. I have, I and have, I'm just yeah. hoping it hits my general requirement of Wonka films for murdering children. Throwing it back to Home Alone at the beginning Ooh, of this You just like children's <laughs> murder is what we're getting here. <laughs> Talking about my, yeah, minor gremlins and Home Alone. Yeah, yeah. We'll engage a therapist <laughs> for that offline uh, and come back to you with our thoughts on Wonka next week. But for now, go have a drink and watch a thing. And happy holidays. Yeah. Cheers.